0: Play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. Come on, Lenny. Pump it in there, baby. Just keep trickulating the ball down the field, boys. But they are who we thought they were. Good morning. It's been a good morning of worship already. And we're in uh, week two of seven weeks of uh, talking about the next step in our church's uh, vision together, where God is taking us. And it's been a great week one, conversations in small groups and in our classes. And uh, we're going to continue that this week, talking about where God is leading us as a church family. So last week we talked about the mission. The new mission uh, is that we want to inspire people to follow Jesus. And the reason we want to do that, our motivation, is because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Uh, And that's all what a lot of churches would say about themselves. But the vision is how that gets worked out, the greater mission here at Greenville Oaks, in the midst of the passions that God has given to us, the place that we are in, and uh, and the gifts that God has given this church. And so our vision is we see Collin County transformed uh, by mentoring thousands to trade the pursuit of artificial success— For the abundant life in Jesus. Last week we started in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, talking about this trade that happens there. There's this world of abundance in the beginning as the story is told. Uh, There's everything that Adam and Eve could possibly need, but there's one tree they're not supposed to eat from. And if any of you have ever been told no about anything, you know what a temptation that can be. And so there's this villain in the story this serpent that comes and, uh, and tempts Eve and then ultimately Adam also to partake of this fruit, promising that if you partake of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. You'll know good from evil. And sure enough, uh, they begin to know evil in a deeper way and death becomes the reality. And we so we talked about this and uh, this story because the reality is all of us have experienced that kind of temptation, that kind of trade in our lives. That God has created us and designed us in a particular way to live, But we are tempted by so many things to go off course, to believe that there are substitutes that can make our lives more abundant than the life that's been given us in God and in Jesus Christ. And so last week we talked about how that's the trade that we want to help mentor others in. But before we can coach anyone in that way of life, we have to experience that same trade. We have to acknowledge that there are artificial substitutes that do not lead to life. And the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, as Jesus said in John 10.10. And all of us have experienced that. We've had things stolen from us in our lives. We've had things that have been destructive that's been a part of our life. But Jesus came and he said, look, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And that's what we want to pursue as a church family. And so we're going to be a church that points one another to that abundant life. So I want to thank you for joining in the conversation last week. And I look forward to hearing the conversations that will emerge this coming week in our group's and into these next few weeks. Let's pray together as we open uh, this story together. God, we thank you that you're a God who does not hold out on us. You're a God who has not set up laws so that we might uh, be kept away from things that actually do lead to life. But you're a God who has designed us in a particular way. To be designed for relationship with others. To be re- designed for relationship with you. And God, when we make mistakes, it's not that that's the end of things. You've given us a path toward Forgiveness a path toward repentance, a path toward getting back on the, on the life of abundance. And, and Jesus came to offer us that trade. And so today, God, is, would you point us back on that path wherever we find ourselves on? And would you allow us to experience the life that Jesus offers to each and every one of us? We pray this, this morning, and I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, since this series is called Coaching the Next Step, which is actually something that will come up a little bit later in our series, the reason for that title, I thought talking about football today with Super Bowl Sunday would make some sense. So if I see some receivers out there, I might hit someone a little bit later with a route. So be ready to go if you're you're ready for it. But uh, I want to talk this morning about uh, a, a great coach in NFL history. His name was Vince Lombardi. And a lot of people have forgotten about him, I think. I, I'm, a lot of people ask me, are you a Packers fan? I mean, your last name is Packers, so is that who you root for? And no, I'm a Cowboys fan. But people have said if you ever wanted to plant a church in Wisconsin and Green Bay, your church would thrive. I mean, Pastor Packer down the street, just go to his church and pray and things will be good on Sundays. Um, once Rogers is gone, I don't know what kind of prayers will help. But anyway... That's not where we are this morning. It's Niners Chiefs. I know we've all got our teams, but before we go there, I want to talk about the Packers because this is Super Bowl 54, right, this year, but the first two Super Bowls were won by this coach named Vince Lombardi. In fact, the trophy that will be handed out tonight is called the Lombardi Trophy. He's one of the greatest coaches in history. He, He became the head coach of the Packers the year after in 1959, 58, they had gone one win, 10 losses, and one tie. And so he picks up this team, and the next year, he does such a good job, they go from one ten and one to seven wins and five losses. And the year after that is second year coaching. Uh, they end up going to the NFL championship, which is basically the Super Bowl before the Super Bowl becomes a thing. And they almost won that Super Bowl. They actually had the ball down less than a touchdown and got down to the nine-yard line on the last play and didn't quite score to win that Super Bowl. So that's summer. Coach Lombardi decided, all right, we're going to get back to camp, and we're going to do things a little differently. He had this famous speech that many of you could probably quote at the beginning of that speech. His speech started like this, gentlemen, this is a football, which I'm sure they were all like, yeah, we got that, coach, and we almost won it last year, coach. Why would you want to talk about this? And, and so many of us in our lives, we get to a place where we're almost where we want to be, and we think, I guess there's some advanced skill out there I still need to know, And so many coaches might build off the success of last year. But what Lombardi did is he says, we got to go back to fundamentals. we got to go back to the basics of all of this. And if we can do that, then there's hope for the next year. And here's the good news. What happened later that year is they won the NFL championship. They won 37 to nothing against the New York Giants. And in a seven-year stretch, Lombardi led the Packers to five championships in that seven-year span, including the first two Super Bowls that were played. And I think there's something we can learn from that speech, is that in our spiritual lives, wherever we find ourselves, we think, well, maybe the next step for us is something beyond where we are, when sometimes what we need to do is take a step back and realize sometimes it's time to remember what a football is. Sometimes it's time to go back and get the fundamentals down all over again. Church can often turn into a place where we, we think about advanced steps, rather than going back to the heart of what it was all about. That's what Jesus said, actually. That's what the book of Revelation talks about, is there's this church that started out, and and John's writing this on the island of Patmos, and he says to them, you know what you've done? You know what the problem is with your church? You've forgotten your first love. You need to go back to what it was at the very beginning of things. And that's where I want to direct us this morning, is before we talk about what's new here, before we talk about what God's calling us to next, I think it's really important for us to get sure and And go back to what the values were that got us here that we need to be reminded of. What were those fundamentals of the Christian faith? And there are fundamental values here at Greenville Oaks that we don't want to lose as we move on to something new. We want to hold on to those values because they've been valuable before. So what I want to do today is I want to share four values from our past at Greenville Oaks that can lead us forward and be helpful as we move forward to the new things that God is calling us to do in the days ahead. See, the people of God have always made a habit when they've been doing things right of remembering God's work among them. There's this story, of course, of the Red Sea crossing when the Israelites uh, leave Egypt as slaves and they're, they're freed through the Red Sea. Maybe you've seen Charlton Heston park the waters on that movie, The Ten Commandments. That's That scene. And we always talk about that, but what we forget about is another uh, crossing that happens of water later on in the story on the way to the Promised Land. It's the Jordan River that they're being called to cross, and now we have bridges and don't think crossing rivers is a big deal, but in those days, all the the kids and the herds and the cattle, all those things had to get through somehow, and there'd be a lot of loss of life if there wasn't a bridge or there wasn't some miraculous act, and sure enough, as they're crossing the Jordan River, moving toward the promised land, God parts the waters. He kind of stops it, and it's actually dry land that they pass through on. You know what they do to commemorate that act? because they know they're going to forget God's action. Like all of us, we've had moments where God has seemed so close or things have been just right in our lives, and we forget that in the hard times. What they did is they had 12 tribes in Israel, so they had a leader from every one of those tribes go to the center of the river, pick up a rock, and they put it on the other side of that river. And it was meant to be a memorial. It was meant to be a way to remember that God had gotten them that far already. And I'm thinking about our own lives, our own families. How many of us need a similar thing? We need rocks that are stacked. We need prayers that have been answered that we're reminded of that God has been faithful. God has been faithful to this congregation. This church began in 1986 with seven families meeting around a a living room. A few of those families are actually still members today. At that time, there were about 15,000, 20,000 people in Allen in 1986. Think about how much things have changed since then. And those families had a vision of starting a church committed to Scripture where Allen area families would experience the grace of God in the context of authentic relationships with one another. They met together in each other's homes, and then it grew beyond that, and they moved to a daycare center, and then eventually to a storefront, and then to a church building that's actually not too far down the road, on Jupiter Road here, just a a little ways away, less than a mile away. And and then in 2001, we moved to uh, this space right here on Greenville Avenue. I'm grateful for everyone God has sent through these doors over the years. Many of us, including myself, are warming ourselves by fires that we did not start. We're building uh, on a foundation that we did not lay. But I know the families who started this work wouldn't attribute that to themselves. They would tell that story and talk about all that God had done along the way. And we would not be honoring that history if we were not doing the same thing in our day. Asking the question of God, God, what would you have for us next? What is the next stage? What is the next step? We don't want to just rely on the foundation that has been built. We want to continue forward in our building. So next week, I want to begin by talking about a new set of values that's going to guide us into our future together. But as we move into that new chapter at Greenville Oaks, it's important that we hear the words of Scripture, the words of Paul to somebody who was going to be leading the church forward in the first century church. So if you have your Bibles, your phones, your uh, it's, the words will also be on the screen, but turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, uh, the guy who actually writes this letter is a guy named Paul. And Paul used to be a, a persecutor of the church. He, he oversaw the death of the first Christian martyr, a guy named Stephen. So he was this guy that was zealous for the faith, but, but was willing to kill people who saw things differently. And, and God changed his life. And he becomes the person who wrote about almost half the New Testament. Uh, and, and this is what he has to say at the end of his life as he's reflecting back and he's thinking about the church that's going to take things and lead things after he's gone. He writes to Timothy, this son in the faith, and this is what he says about where you're to go from here. Second Timothy 3 verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says, look, Timothy, I I don't want you as you move forward to forget where you've been. I want you to realize you're to continue in the things you've already learned and been convinced of. And he says, don't forget those. Maybe he's talking about himself, Paul. Don't forget me when you get there, right? Because I taught you all these lessons along the way. Some of you can remember people who've been your guides on journeys. Maybe they've been a sponsor in an AA group you've been a part of, or they they were the ones who introduced you to Christ and, and they taught you along the way. Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent, somebody who's led you on the path of your life to where you are right now. He says, I want you to remember the ones who passed this on to you. Think of those who taught you the story of Jesus, dwell on these words of Scripture. And he says these words are important. They're God-breathed. Great words for us to hear that Paul's giving to Timothy, I think, for our days ahead. So today what I want to do is I want to highlight four values that will be crucial for us to hang on to that have been a part of our church's history as we move forward in the days ahead. These four values are what I believe are continuing in what we've learned and become convinced of because of those who've share these values with us here. Value number 1. We will remain committed to scripture. We'll be a church committed to reading, studying, and following the message of the Bible. And we come from a tradition in churches of Christ that has has really valued the Bible of picking it up, of reading it, of always coming back to its words. But I think it's important for us to realize we don't come back to these words just repeating the words that have been given from the Spirit in previous generations. We come to Scripture inviting the Spirit of God to tell us in our own day new things, new insights. We've all had this experience, haven't we? I don't care how many times you have read over these words, you've underlined these words, words you've memorized maybe early on, and you come back to them, and there's something new that you never saw in it before on the 101st time you read it. It's the gift of Scripture. It's, it's not like another book you just kind of put on the shelf and say, well, I've read that one. This is one of those books that stayed for generations, and it's continued to reveal and tease out things that God continues to want for this day and for this age. I've had this experience over and over again. It's the gift of why I love that I've got my grandfather's Bible. And I've got my great-grandfather's Bible who were leaders, and they, they, they cared about the Scriptures. And they underline those words. I think it's great that we have these apps now and how available they are to us. But there's something about picking up the same book that my grandfather and my great-grandfather had and seeing the words they underline and seeing what they emphasize, the notes and the margins. That's a gift I want to give to my children as well, for them to see this is something that shaped our family, our story. This was Paul's very advice to Timothy. The Scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation. And we believe this Bible's God-breathed, not just in its first writing, not just the writers who wrote these words down first, that we believe, but we also believe that the Spirit of God still breathes through these words into our lives. We experience that as we encounter it today. So in the future, no matter what challenges we face, we're committing to come back to Scripture all over anew, asking how God wants us to move forward as Paul mentioned to Timothy. Value number two, we'll remain committed to Jesus and his way. We believe that God looks like Jesus. That's what Hebrews talks about, that he's the image of the invisible God. That's the way Colossians talks about this, that that he is the exact representation of who God is. That's the gift, is that we live after the time of Jesus where these gospels tell us that God lived among us. And so the way he taught, the way he lived is the way that God is the clearest picture that we can possibly have. And Jesus shows us the path to the abundant life. This is why our mission and our motivation, our vision is packed with Jesus' language. So we say we're say, we here to inspire people to follow Jesus. It's one of those values, right? Why? Because we're convinced that he teaches us the way to life, the abundant life. His is the best way of life possible. And then the vision the same way, right? It doesn't start off with Jesus. It ends there. And what we're trying to say is, there are a lot of teachings out there about how to do life, but ultimately we're coaching people, mentoring them to trade the pursuit of artificial success for the abundant life in Jesus. Our mission, motivation, and vision all center around Jesus. We exist to, peop- to point people to Jesus, so they may have salvation in His name, but we also believe His teaching leads to the best way of life possible. Jesus isn't just our Savior, church. Jesus is also our Lord, which means it's his reign and his rule and his teaching that actually directs our steps. Now this sounds like simple Christian, this is a football talk, right? And I suppose it is because a lot of us, if you ever went to VBS growing up or you grew up in church, like every answer in elementary school right now for some of our kids is like, Jesus, that's the answer, right? And they're not wrong. What we're trying to say is that's a value we want to hold on to. This value is simple, but it's difficult. It's difficult. How many of us can say, yeah, I've mastered all the commands of Jesus. I'm living them out right now. Everything's good. I've got nothing. No, we've still got a room to grow, don't we? One of the primary reasons I believe the church in North America is declining is because the church fails to look like Jesus. Because so often we teach these things, but when it comes to the love that Jesus showed to others, we don't always reflect that. And all the perception that people have out there, they come from realities, from people, things that people have experienced that have not been Jesus. People don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with us not living like Jesus. And now we never claim to be the kind of church that says we've got that down and like we're all kind of raising our hands saying we're sinners, right? Saved by the grace of God, learning in this path. So it's not that we're perfect in this. We invite everyone to come in, not saying when you get perfect, you can finally come in. We're saying come join us on this journey as we're struggling along this path as well. If we claim Jesus as Lord, it doesn't mean we can be hungry for power anymore because Jesus lays down his power. If we're going to call Jesus Lord, then we must value what he values and teach as he teaches. This value is simple, as I said, but it's difficult to live out. Now, recently I've heard questions about what makes our church unique at this point in history. Because there was a time in Churches of Christ where we had a clear identity, right? Right? At one point, many of our churches claimed that we were the only ones with the truth, that we were the only ones who were going to heaven. And a belief like that creates a sense of identity, doesn't it? Like you know who you are and who are you supposed to reach? Everyone who doesn't end up in a church of Christ on a Sunday morning. That creates a sense of who we are, our purpose, our identity. Another identity, Mark, was that we didn't worship with instruments. We were that church that just sang with our voices. But today, we don't believe we're the only ones going to heaven, and we don't worship only with our voices, right? But the question is, why do we exist? Why do we need to exist if we're not the right ones anymore, or the only right ones, or we're not the ones who worship in a distinct way? What is our identity then? Why do we exist? And I want to answer that question for you right now. The mission and the vision and the value should give you your answer. We're the church who is doing everything we can possible to be committed to Jesus. We're the church who believes Jesus can save us. We're the church who has experienced the abundant life and is moving more and more into it, helping others find their same way into that. And are other churches living out those same values? I sure hope so because we can't do this alone. We want to partner with other churches that believe the very same things. We don't need an identity that makes us feel elevated or better than everyone else in order to have a reason to exist. We need an identity that firmly plants ourselves in Christ Jesus and His way, and that is enough. So if we're going to identify ourselves as a church of Christ, then Jesus ought to be the very thing that identifies us most, amen? Amen. And we have a practice uh, that is rooted in this whole thing. I was at a small group not too long ago where I was asked the question. They were concerned about their kids and their grandkids in the midst of a culture where everyone seems to think that every road leads to the same place. And what makes us distinct? And and I said, well, one of the things that makes us distinct is, is baptism. Because in baptism, we ask several questions of people who want to follow Jesus. We say, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he's... Are you ready to make him the Lord of your life? Do you believe in the event that changes our faith, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Now, those are high standards, right? I mean, believing in resurrection, believing that this man who lived on the earth, Jesus, was actually God in the flesh, believing that actually we're going to submit ourselves to his way and his life. Those are incredible things to confess in a day and age like this. And this practice is so important because that's the very thing we're committing to. And that means that anyone who answers yes to those questions is our brother and sister, right? We don't get to decide that people disagree on other things that are less important than the very things we baptize into Christ for. If, if you make that commitment, if you claim Jesus is Lord, if you're trying to follow His way, you're, you're part of the family of God. Which leads to value number three. We will remain committed to, committed to unity in diversity. Now, unity has been a value of this church since long before I arrived here in 2014. And this is a value that sets us apart in the world today because our world has carved itself up into so many different tribes and groups that can't seem to get together or get along or be in the same space together. And if we're waiting for unity to come based on believing all of the same things, a list of 10 things, a list of 12 things, a list of 20 things, I'm telling you, we'll never stop dividing from one another. It's not going to happen around believing all of these opinions or things outside of the core of faith that's going to bring us together. As I said in value two, what unites us is an event. It's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the one who unites us. And that unity is put on display each Sunday when we do something we do every week. We pass these trays around. They have crackers on them and they have grape juice and and that might be a normal meal anywhere else. It's a little bit of an odd meal, I guess. You don't get that at a restaurant most of the time. But, but this, these crackers and juice, they remind us of the story we're committed to. That we are united not by a belief system. We are united by an event. And we're united at a table that Jesus is our host at. And this is really important for us in these days ahead. Because if you haven't noticed, it's an election year. And I'm here to tell you, not everyone in this room votes the same way. We're not the kind of church that, that that checks people's voter ID before they come in to make sure that they're part of one party or the other. The same is true in so many ways. I mean, some of you are rooting for the Niners tonight, and some of you are rooting for the Chiefs tonight. And some of you believe this, and some of you believe that, and some of you are, make this amount of money, and some of you make this amount of money. We have all kinds of differences around here. But unity is not uniformity. Unity is and can and must be found in the midst of diversity, a diversity we hope and pray expands and grows around here. Because one of the most evangelistic witnesses we can offer the world is our commitment to remain united in spite of our differences. Just think about the the places you go around right now, that you can somehow disagree and still learn to be together in the midst of those disagreements. Very few places that happens. We plan to recommit to this value of a commitment to unity in our diversity. A growing diversity, we hope. Value four, we'll remain committed to equipping families. As I said earlier, this church began with families who had a vision of starting a church where area families would experience the grace of God and authentic community with one another. And since those early days, Allen has blossomed into a place where people of different generations come and are finding a home and a place. This value has been important for God's people since the very beginning. Deuteronomy 6 talks about this, right? You're to talk about this everywhere you go, that the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. We're to have no other gods but him, and we're to train up our children to follow this way, the path of Jesus toward the abundant life, as we see in the New Testament. And I can't say enough about our children's and our student ministry. That's been true for for ministers before this for ages in the past. That's been a commitment and someone we want to build on and continue in. Uh, just this weekend, our oldest son got the chance to go to his first retreat collide retreat, and just to see him coming in the door, some of you you, you kids actually were there this week who were out there, which if you 're awake i 'm just amazed right now because I know you didn 't get much sleep last night, and we had volunteers who gave of their weekend to be with my son and your sons and daughters and granddaughters and grandsons in order to see them commit to this way of life and My, my son had the greatest time and And I'm glad because then my daughters are going to know they can have a great time in the future as well. I'm grateful for those volunteers. I'm grateful for all that are seeing them being raised in this way that is the way to life. Now There are other values that we could talk about this morning. But these are the four that we've highlighted we want to carry forward from our past. A church cannot have values though unless each and every person here commits to those values. Values aren't shown just because we say we have values. They're shown because there's behaviors that are born out of those values. So I want to challenge you on these four values as we close this morning to ask you, how do you really value these things? And if you do, what, what behaviors are you showing that actually show a value for them? So first, how are, you uni- how are you committed? How do you value? What is it that would demonstrate to others around you that you value Scripture? Do the people around you know that? Is that obvious to others that Scripture is the thing that comes out of your mouth in a moment where you need discernment? Is it obvious because of the well-worn pages of a book or maybe for the first time you're opening it and you're trying to figure this out? Wherever you are on that journey, I hope that you'll find behaviors that'll actually find a commitment to this because it's through the scriptures that we're led to Jesus who's the way to life. Or how about this? How do people know that you're committed to Jesus and his way? How would they know that based on your behavior, based on the things that you do and how you live out your life? It's one thing to call ourselves Christians. It's another to actually be the kind of... uh, Aroma of Christ, this beautiful like invitation to others to say, "I live this way because Jesus has taught me this way." It may be simple the words of Jesus; it's not always easy. So, how are we valuing that? Number three, how are you valuing in your life unity and diversity in this moment? Do you just surround yourself with people who believe all the same things that you do, see everything the same way that you do, so it's easier that way? Are you finding ways and places to enter into that? You're challenged by the people around you and challenged to love them in the midst of that. How can our church do that more in the days ahead? And then finally, how are you equipping families? I hope your own family uh, that you've got around you, you're finding ways to try to equip them well for the life ahead. But I hope you'll also be doing that in the midst of this community, that you're helping in some way to walk with others, to mentor them, to teach in classes, to be in nursery, to do all those things that are needed to help equip our families. We want to do more of that in the days ahead. Well, this week we're going to have more opportunities to share in groups and classes in future weeks to continue the conversation. I look forward to hearing how those conversations go. But next week, I'll begin to share more of our shared values for the weeks to come, for the for the years to come uh, in our future. But uh, thank, thanks for being here this morning. Let's pray as we close today. God, we we thank you for… You, the scriptures that you've handed on throughout the generations. We're grateful for Jesus, who is our Savior and our Lord. And for some of us, we haven't yet made that decision. And I pray that wherever we find ourselves on that, God, that you would just lead us gracefully toward the path that is the abundant life in Jesus. That's my prayer for everyone in this community, God. Is that that's what saved my life. And I pray it we continue to save others as well. My, my prayer this morning also is that you would uh, help us be a church that better demonstrates the diversity of the body of Christ. Because we know one day in heaven there are going to be people of every tribe, tongue, and language singing the praises of of your name. And God, we don't want to just wait on eternity for that to happen. We want to represent that better now in unity together. So God, help us to do that. And God, we also pray that you would help us to raise our children. Help us to be the kind of parents and grandparents and uh, mentors and coaches, God, that help equip others in this way of life. God, we love you. And we're trying to find our way to this abundant life. Pray you would help us. that you would guide us on the way with others that are on the same path. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Twitter. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.